Welcome back. Welcome back. It's the Covered Podcast with the Utah FOP. I'm Ian Adams, your executive director, and privileged to be your host. Once again, being joined by four gentlemen who will make sure that this podcast stays on target for once, not subject to the whims of the man sitting to my left, Brent Jacks, president of the Utah FOP. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about that's going to keep this on track, but the adults in the room. I brought two of them. Okay. The first good. is Ray Flores, president of the Utah County Lodge for the Utah FOP, representing over 300 members. And the state sergeant at arms. And the state sergeant at arms, where he organizes us juveniles into things like our state conference that we held um, last, what, November? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also uh, joined by Sheriff Mike Smith, who I've had the privilege to talk to for the last hour. I'm learning a lot. Um, not only that, I'm, I'm gaining quite a bit of knowledge about what's going on in Utah County because go back and listen to our last episode. Uh, I think you're going to both be uh, disturbed a bit about what's going on at the, the uh, county attorney's be. office, but also um, hopeful because every time there's a challenge in law enforcement, um, and this has been true for my nearly 20 years in it, um, it's met by really upstanding men and women who know what's right. And I think the sheriff is one of those who sees clearly the path forward cannot be one of cynicism and giving up in the face of people spouting nonsense like, oh, we should uh, consider the impact of the felony on a on a rapist rather than the lack of a conviction on a victim, Um, because those those two things are, in fact, at odds. And unfortunately, um, right now, we've got some decision making going down there. And in fact, before you. uh... Before you introduce Brett, the uh, in the last episode we talked about the letter that was mm-hmm. drafted and sent. Um, if you were listening to this podcast and you were the recipient of that letter, and you have family, friends, or anybody that resides in Utah County, get that letter to them. Get that letter and get this podcast. This podcast is designed for the law enforcement community, which will always include the families and friends of law enforcement. Absolutely. Um, you know we don't we don't exclude them. Um, you have to be a member of, of law enforcement in order to be a member of our lodge. But that doesn't mean that we don't care a great deal about how these, these issues affect you, um, those who actually make it possible to serve a career in law enforcement. So, Can I bring up something on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. My ask would be um, go out and become a delegate. March 8th. It's um, huge. You know, if you will take the time, it's not tough. In fact, if uh, you want to know how to do it, the FOP, I believe can send out some information on that, but to go become a delegate and let's make sure we get people in these places that are doing what's right for our citizens. Yeah. That process is not complicated. I know that if you're not experienced in politics, it can feel overwhelming. Like how do I become a delegate? How you become a delegate is you'll probably show up to your local high school or middle school. Um, There will be a meeting and you will put yourself out as somebody who can become a delegate for the party and those delegates have a great deal of power within, um, or especially off-year elections or non-presidential year elections, um, in deciding who's going to represent your community. Um, and this is, this is a very important uh, position. So we have a lot of people in the FOP who take that, that uh, responsibility seriously, and we're happy to put you in contact. And if you're asked to sign a, a signature petition by the campaign of David Levitt, don't. don't. Just refuse to sign it, please. We, uh, we're getting way deep before introducing one of the more important members. 
of our podcast crew. He actually turned down representation for um, Exotic Joe. If you've met Exotic Joe, the Tiger King, um, the Tiger King's first choice in defense attorney was Brett Rosser. Well, I know him. And Brett con- conflicted it out because Brett has his own Tiger history um, <laughs> that wasn't going to play nice. This is true. So, yeah. yeah, tell us about your Tiger history. Well, I was uh, one of the four high schools I went to was the uh, Lamore Tigers. That's yeah. about as close as it gets. I have a jersey somewhere from mm-hmm. a uh, third string tight end. Yeah. Uh, th- that was me on the bench yeah. talking to the cheerleaders. Yeah. I didn't play. That's it. That's my whole history. Yeah. Tigers. Well, it was good enough to conflict yeah. out that uh, that case. I'm glad you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tiger. Yeah, Tiger. It, was a, it was a close one. Yeah, Tiger yeah, really deserves to be in prison. Uh, and if you had represented him, there was no ch- chance. No state prosecutor stands a chance against you. So yeah. you got to wield that power carefully. <laughs> Thank you for that. Speaking of careful power, Ray Flores. It's like <laughs> just a constrained force of nature. Really. Can I, before he starts talking, I just got to <laughs> say on that, that trip, uh, we drove to Alabama and back. I don't know if you've uh, looked at a map. Uh, the southern Gulf Shore of Alabama, it's not close. No. Um, <laughs> How long is the trip? It well, is. When we got to Nashville we ma- and made a right <laughs> on 65, we were like, oh, good, we're only 11 hours away. Yeah, okay. it's literally like driving across. 36 hours coast, driving? Yeah, coast to coast. Okay. I mean, it's as long as yeah. driving to Virginia right. to get all the way to the southern part of Alabama. Right. I did not know this when we first embarked. Yeah, but, you guys like to take road trips that I don't understand. Well, some of us don't like to fly. Yeah. And some of us... Are you not uh, members of uh, Delta Sky Club? Because yeah. that changed my life. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Delta Sky Club. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you got to fly to use it, Brent. I fly all the time. Okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe I just like spending time with you. To think well, and that. that's the because point. We, <laughs> I'll tell an old story. Because, wait. So, no, no kidding. There I was. <laughs> Is this the first time I... <laughs> this is like 2013. Um, the national conference was in Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, we were all getting ready to go. And, and, uh, people were talking about this. We're just going to drive. And I was like, I'm not driving. I don't know what you're doing. Like, why would I drive? You know, they have airplanes, they have whole airports. It gets you there in like two hours, but you guys insisted. So I flew in, (laughs) I flew in and I met you guys as you pulled up in your minivan, like three days later. And like the whole minivan, it had you, Aaron, Fullwood, uh, Salmon, Turner, Turner. These are not small men, right? They're like Salmon's the small one. And like just you, just envisioning the smell. The alone smell of that, of that van was okay, awful. Now wait a minute. Awful. The, and the, the shocks, the shocks took a, took a bigger punishment not. than the smell. It, it rolled up. It looked like you guys were in a lowrider. It's like each of is like a clown car of three hundred pound men. Um, yeah. so good but, work, but good we work. flew back. Yeah. Smart. Cause the, cause the, the van is going to cost too much to replace the van. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the point, yeah. got this amazing got opportunity to, to drive there and back and to really, uh, in the aftermath in, of a hurricane, in the aftermath of a hurricane, right. really interrogate Ray Flores, which is what and I, oh, good. Yeah. I just want to point out that the reason that we drove and didn't fly down is because initially we were to stop and pick up one of the disaster trailers in Nashville mm-hmm. to haul it down. And by the time we got to Kentucky, they said, bypass the trailer. They went out of Walmart. We're out of food. And so yeah. we bypassed. And- it was an important trip, not just, uh, you know, swinging a chainsaw and, and moving yeah. logs. It was, we but you got to, to meet, 
uh, Ray on a deeper level, it sounds like. Yep, and uh, was just so amazed by his story. It is a story of uh, redemption and, you know, uh, you know just p- talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and making a life for yourself when, um, well, you'll hear his story. Um, very difficult, uh, challenging circumstances uh, of his youth. And um, frankly, I've not met anybody quite like Ray Flores. Yeah. So really glad to see you. It sounds so cool. I hope I can uh, <laughs> deliver. Well, we almost missed the turnoff at Nashville. Like we almost ended up in like North Carolina. <laughs> Listen to the beautiful, story. beautiful story. country. All right, Ray. So the the outside of the profession, I think sometimes people think this is the story of how people become police. You know, you 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 grew up in a nice place in a law and order family. Maybe dad or an uncle was a cop, maybe both. And it was the natural progression. Is that your story as well? No. Okay. No, well, not quite that. As it turns out, that <laughs> those simplistic stories are almost never true. So um, how long have you been a police officer now? Uh, just, uh, let's see, 15. It's coming up on Damn. 15 years. How's it been? It's been fantastic. Yeah. Loved every second of it. Actually, let's wait to get this story till after you hit your 20. Would that be? <laughs> the day I submit my paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Now, carefully referencing your application paperwork, <clears throat> please retell this story. Now, so let's go back. So how'd you, um, before you became a leader in law enforcement, 15 years, and have they all been with Utah County Sheriff? No, I started off with, uh, I got hired with Springville City okay. as a police officer, and I also got hired with Utah County as a 1,000-hour employee working in the uh, courts. Oh, really? Yeah. Part, it's just, and it's and like just for our listeners, Detective Flores, you are of Norwegian descent. Is that <laughs> Norwegian. <laughs> on the west side of, oh, far, just, just west, west of, of Norway. Yeah, yeah. Where do you really come from? What's your, what's your background? <laughs> I was born and raised in uh, Los Angeles, California. I've heard of it. Okay. So your family is from there? Yes. All right. Yes. Family, brothers, sisters? Yeah, I have an older brother. He lives in uh, Minnesota right now. Okay. Uh, my family moved to Utah just a few years ago. Maybe five or six years ago now. Oh, really? So yeah. they're all here now? They're all here now. What was growing up in L.A. for like for you? I don't know. You you want to hear a typical hood story? or I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's, I, I didn't know you were from the hood. Every, everybody's experience is a little bit What part different. of L.A. were you from? Uh, we moved around a lot. Um, I lived uh, mostly in San Gabriel Valley. From uh, East LA, Whittier, uh, Pico Rivera area, all the way down to um, down east by Azusa, California, mostly in Azusa, California. Okay. Children, that is not where Disneyland is. It's not, a different no. part of LA. Different part of LA. <laughs> it's a big place. Yeah. What was? I mean, I you mentioned that you're like you said. Well, a lot of people have these experiences, but I'm more interested in like what was Ray's experience there. So my experience uh, growing up. Um, wow. There's there's a there's a lot of experiences and uh, I've shared a few with uh, with Brent and, and Brent on that trip. But uh, my earliest memory of, of being in California was in uh, I lived with my grandma uh, in La Puente, California. And uh, my youngest memory, I was probably old enough to stand up on the back seat of my dad's Impala and look straight out the front window. Mm-hmm. And I was. Uh, could uh let's see i was an accomplice i guess like being five years old in a in a burglary oh that's probably my earliest uh memory that yeah. i can remember but um that you know that's how i grew up and crimes of opportunity you know there was uh, narcotics in my house there was alcohol there was domestic violence and other violence um just kind of a progression of things like that growing up so you were exposed to some of the harder 
sides of life. The harder side, yeah. You know, I think what's unfortunate, we talked about this with Matt Gwynn. I don't know if you remember, but when Matt was here, Matt had a difficult challenges in, in, in childhood. So did I. And I think uh, it's too easy for people outside to say, well, when people are, when children are exposed to X, Y, or Z, they come out a certain way. They take a certain lesson from that. How those people see your challenges is not how you experience those challenges. So what did you take from these, a life where you were exposed to criminality and drugs and, and, and certain forms of disorder? They certainly didn't lead. I mean, here you are today, a 15 year veteran of law enforcement, a trusted detective. Um, what? And I would add Ian, a life that most people don't even survive. Yeah. You know, if you think about the outlook for a kid growing up under those circumstances, you know, what, how do they, how do they drag themselves out of that? What did you do? I don't know. So it really just came down to, to choices. You know, I have friends that grew up in the same street, um, same circumstances. Uh, some have gone to jail, some have gone to prison, some are not alive anymore. Um, Really, it just came down to learning a few things and experiencing a few things. I got to give love to my two best friends growing up. They're uh, Polynesian kids. Uh, they were probably the best kids in my neighborhood. Uh, their family were, they had, they had really big families. Um, my buddy Sam, my buddy Marcus, uh, combined siblings are probably 18 or 19 wow. kids in their family. And they all taught me a little bit and... And uh, I saw what they had from the choices they were making, and I wanted the same thing. What did you – so you went You went to high school there in L.A.? I did. Okay. Wow. I went to Gladstone High School in Covina, California. Okay. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what was the first step out of high school? Uh, first step out of high school, I, I, my buddies, my best friends, they went to BYU, and I was not prepared for BYU. <laughs> uh, so I stayed back and um, – I really wasn't prepared academically for much. Um, I did. Uh, I worked three jobs and I saved up to serve a LDS mission. Oh wow! And I ended up uh, serving in uh, the Hawaii Honolulu mission. Oh really? For those two years. That's not a bad posting. No, it's not bad at all. It's pretty good. <laughs> Was it that uh, that Polynesian family that introduced you to the church? Is that how you learned about uh, the LDS faith? I did um, through them. Um, I learned a lot from them about the church. Um, after investigating, I found out that my dad was actually a member of the church, and I had no idea. Oh, your kid! I forgot about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. My my grandfather, when I was a young kid, would tell me that we were Mormons, and I didn't know what that meant. Um, I just would tell people I was a Mormon, and that was it. I didn't have no idea about the church at all. Um, until my best friend Sam, I met him in seventh grade, and him and. Uh, he was being picked on for being Mormon. Uh, he was surrounded by about eight eight kids, making fun of him. And so um, I stood up for him and told him I was a Mormon too, and they left him alone. And uh, he pulled me to the side, and he's like, are you really a Mormon? I said, yeah. He goes, wow, do you go to church? I'm like, nope. He goes, you know what the Book of Mormon is? I'm like, no clue. I just knew I was a Mormon, and that was, that was it. And he looked me up and down and shook his head and just kind of walked away because I did not look like your typical Mormon. So, um, yeah, I got to give some love to those guys. And those guys are my best friends uh, till today. Uh, they both live in uh, Utah County. And oh, really? Our kids grew up together. And our kids, uh, they're actually first cousins with my wife. 
now. So I married into their family and oh wow, we're all still connected that way. That's amazing. Not to get into the details of, of, of any direct circumstances that you, you know, may have been involved in, but what, what was the process like, um, you know, making the leap from living at least in a lifestyle where, where things are going on around you to, um, you know, sort of announcing within your family, hey, this is the path that I want to go on. I'm interested in law enforcement. Was that a shock to them? And how did how did your group take it? Um, so my father, he um, he had a good understanding of of life. Um, he knew what he was doing was not, not good. Um, when he got caught, he got caught. That's just the game. He understand the, the cat and mouse game that law enforcement is. And so we didn't grow up hating police officers. We didn't grow up, uh, you know, we had we had some family, second, third cousins that were detectives or police officers or worked for the sheriff's office. I had a first cousin that worked for a sheriff's office, and I couldn't hate him. He's my cousin, you know. And so I had a good understanding of what law enforcement was and what their job was and just understood if you're going to do something contrary to the law, eventually you're going to get caught. So. Uh, making the leap to law enforcement, I, I actually didn't make that leap until I was 20, I think I was 26 or 27 when I went through the academy. Um, one thing that hooked me was um, I went on a ride along with uh, an officer who's long retired now. We had a very good day uh, working narcotics in, in the Provo area, and that hooked me. That got me right there. I just wanted to work narcotics, and I spent the majority of my career so far working <clears throat> narcotics and being proactive and and uh, work in those kind of cases. In fact, that's uh, that's when I first met Ray. Was uh, he was assigned to Utah County Major Crimes, and I was in the task force up here at the time, and we did a lot of stuff with Utah County. I mean, those boys knew how to knew how to play. So one of the things I love about Ray is I've been on a couple Zoom calls with you, and I, I I'm one of those people that looks at like what books are in the back background of, of a man. And uh, Ray has this collection of books, like all that's on his shelves are basic, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to give away any titles, so, <laughs> but they're basically, how can I be a better man and a more successful human being for the people that rely on me? That, that's how I would describe the books that were behind him. And that says a lot. Um, but before you became, so at 26, 27, you became a cop. Serve a mission, I assume, from like nineteen to twenty ish. Nineteen to twenty one. Nineteen to twenty one yeah. in a in a rough posting of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. You get back. <laughs> you get back. Um, what's the next five years look like before you uh, finally take the plunge? The next five years was uh, searching about what what kind of job I could do with the the academic knowledge I had at the time, which wasn't much. Uh, I, I did learn a lot of my mission. I learned how to study. I learned how to read. Uh, I, I knew how to read before, but I learned to love to read. Mm-hmm. And so when I got back from my mission, uh, I was soaking up books and trying to be more studious, I guess. Went to school. I did a few semesters uh, here in Utah. And then um, then I found the police academy, and that kind of stopped my academic. Derailed it. Yeah. yeah. That happens. Yeah, I really love I really loved this, uh, this career, and I put everything I had to it from from the beginning, and I kind of saw the error of my ways. Now that I'm trying to play catch up and work on my bachelor's degree right now, it's amazing. Yeah. It's never too late. I mean, if anybody's out there, it's a bit of a a, a side note, but 
academia has been very important to me, scholarship and learning and education, not just because it helps me understand what's going on in policing, but it's um, set a really good example for my kids, right? I'm a first generation college student. Um, before, before me, we measured education attainment in my family through three, six, and nine months sobriety coins. <laughs> and uh, when I look back just six, seven years ago, all of my kids had two parents with bachelor degrees, and we were the highest level of attainment in our, in our family. And now I've got all my kids with both parents with graduate degrees and one soon to be PhD and it's made a difference well, by the time this airs, it should be Dr. Adams. You don't, uh, do not beg that devil question. <laughs> well, it'd be Dr. Do and Mr. Adams. <laughs> don't, don't, don't put this on. Don't put that on me, Bobby. Um, yeah, but I imagine that's, well, has that been your experience with your kids too? Um, how do you, when you're looking back at how you grew up, and now you got this family that's a close-knit group of friends who came up in difficult circumstances and all managed to end up somehow in Utah County, marrying between families, raising kids together. What does that feel like, like when you think on those? It makes me think of all the, uh, I've heard this term before and I like it a lot, like all the God shots I've been given. Uh, there was a lot of opportunities throughout my life to where things could have went sideways. And, and I received some, some God shots, you know, where I was given an opportunity that would train, change that trajectory. And, and, uh, there were some good choices to make. So I kind of want you to form a podcast now called God shots. Cause I've never heard that. I've never heard that term that's before, great. but that's like a great that. one. If you don't, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> so for our listeners, I hear rumors that the, uh, the FOP has, um, free education opportunities uh, for those that, uh, like the the online system of, mm -hmm. of learning, which if you know you've survived this pandemic, you saw a lot of that anyway. Uh, you should know how to Zoom, but uh, a lot of folks out there taking advantage of that program, and it does pay for both an associate's and a bachelor's degree, as I understand it, for members of the FOP and, and their families. I don't and know their, all those families, details, yeah. but yeah, is that if you go to FOP.net, yeah, and click on the uh, education college free college mm -hmm. button, it'll tell you how to apply. Um, it's accredited. It's regionally accredited. Bless Sheriff, you. I would ask you while you're here, if you have any questions for detective Flores, and if so, if you'd go ahead and uh, give him his Garrity admonition now, <laughs> just get this show on the road. Yeah, We probably should have led with that, right? <laughs> I thought it was implied. <laughs> I want, I actually want to bring the sheriff into this discussion because you, you've supervised men and women for a long time, sergeant, lieutenant, I assume chief, chief of police at one point, sheriff now, You've held all these important positions. When you see a background like like race come in front of you, what's going through your head? How are you evaluating um, people coming into law enforcement? I mean, we can see that Ray turned out to be an amazing character, an amazing member of the law enforcement community, obviously well-loved and respected. Um, but at some point, he had to put in an application, right? And how how should we be evaluating that today as we face... Uh, record numbers of people leaving the profession, difficulties in recruiting them. What does that whole process, do you have thoughts on that as you, as you think about it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think uh, we all have our backgrounds, right? And they're all different. Um, 
and unfortunately there there are some backgrounds that are no goes right yeah. you'll you'll hit a roadblock and you know if you've done certain things you're you're just not going to become a police officer yeah. and there's no way around it um but as as we look through backgrounds you know i i think for me personally there's always people people deserve a second chance if people and and i'm not saying that's the situation here but no 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 but uh I think if somebody's trying to better themselves and there's a way that we can help them. And as we're looking through this application and we see some, some things that are uh, qualities in this person and, and really some, some hurdles that they have just, you know, leaped over. And in the end, I think they become our best employees. They, that those experiences make them valuable to this profession. I Um, think so. And I, and I, you know, speaking from a background as uh, as an FTO, I, I saw people come through with so-called clean backgrounds that hadn't necessarily prepared them for a, a career as a police officer as well. I think we've all seen people that maybe entered the profession without um, some of the harder life experiences. And, and I think it, it, it made it so that those people left the profession pretty quickly too. And so there's my, I guess my point is, and what I'm taking from what you're saying, and I, and I hope that I'm rephrasing it right, is that the diversity of experiences makes for a stronger policing profession, right? I believe it does. If, if we, if we had all of one type of background and one type of person trying to do policing in a, in a, in a population of people that don't all have that same background, we would run into a lot of trouble really fast. We, we turn into, you know, basically RoboCop, right? right. We've got the, the same, we, we have not to stereotype, but you have that same, the same guy that makes all of us look bad, yep. right? It's yeah. just badge heavy. He just, they're in it for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives us a bad name. And it's, yeah. it's life, it's character. It's a thing. That's what I'm looking for in an applicant. Well, yeah. you know, when we built it, um, I was doing a background for an agency, uh, a little bit north of us, uh, about last year. And one of the, one of the interesting things in this kid's background was, uh, came from a law enforcement family. Um, you know, I think we all know his, we all know his dad. Um, good kid but you know had had some troubles you know keeping job keeping you know all these things that when you first look at that background you're going oh and he spent all this time filling out all this paperwork and then uh to sit down and talk with him and kind of going through the experience of of the education process Mm -hmm. about you know some of the difficulties that he had in school and learning how to learn and how how big that was for him, and he went from being uh, not a not a problem candidate, but kind of a less less likely candidate to um, being the one in his class that the other classmates would go to to help study. He kind of uh, did these side study groups because he wanted to wanted to help his classmates study, and because he had figured out what it what it meant to study and how to go after this profession, and he wanted everybody else to you know, to have that, that same thing. And yeah. he's turned out to be a, a phenomenal cop for this, for this agency. There, there's a growth process and, that takes place yeah. as we train people. And so it's, well, right? yeah. And, and so it's not just about the diversity of backgrounds, but it's about what's, what's learned through the process of that background and how, how they mature through it, yeah. you know? And, and I think those are the, those are the stories out there is that you can come from a diverse uh, circumstance. You can come from, 
you know, Upper East Side or Lower West Side. Yeah. You can you can have those experiences that that uh, that Ray's had, or you can have the experiences or lack of them that I had yeah. coming into it. You're gonna have but, as a police officer, you're gonna be required to interact with people from all those backgrounds. Exactly. There is no we don't segregate people in saying, well, okay, uh, you know, you you went to Granger High, we're gonna send Brent Jacks because he. He he knows that 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 population. So that's not how that that's not how police works. You have to be able to serve the community. I I love the service thing, and I think in the last podcast when you asked Ray, you know about where he's at, he when he when he said that he said service three or four times in his statement when when he answered yeah. your question. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, that's huge because I'm telling you right now. If, if you can learn to serve, because that's really what it's all about. Yep. You know, if your true desire is to serve and it's a thing is, is you get to positions later in your career where maybe you're this crusty supervisor and, you know, you've got these new recruits coming in and you ask them, why do you want to be a cop? You know, and you're waiting for them to say that cliche, oh, I want to help people or something mm-hmm. like that. And you all kind of laugh about it, you know, behind their back. Oh, right. They want to help people. Well, I'm here to... I'm here to tell you that that crusty old cop needs a kick in his butt because if you really are not in it for that reason, if service and helping people and making a difference in your community for the better is not in your core, this is a tough profession and you won't make it. Right. And, and you said something about challenge, overcoming challenges in, in, in personal histories and how that is, is a positive as we, as we view people coming into the profession. I got to tell you, it's not an easy profession. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to have to overcome challenges. And so, uh, it, it says nothing but positive to me to see somebody, um, who has hit those challenges in their life and is now, uh, matured and overcome them and found a way, you know, that the, the Stokes would say they made the obstacle the way they, they didn't just stop because there was an obstacle. They made the, the obstacle part of that path. And we're going to have to do it. We talked in the previous episode, or was it um, recently at least, about recruitment and retention efforts and how those um, are hitting agencies across the nation. I got to tell you, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We eat our own when it comes to making judgments about where people came from or the right type of cop. We're going to have to continue to, to press, I think, a little bit on those boundaries about what makes a good cop. As we as we move forward through policing, we ha- we're going to have to number one because it's the right thing to do. Uh, the the communities that we serve um, deserve those types of people, but also because from an operational standpoint, we can't rely on standards developed in the 1970s or 1960s, which is a lot of agencies are still wrapped into policies that were developed during that time that came out of this this certain period in American policing. We're going to have to evolve. Um, and that, that means thinking about new ways to bring in different types of people into the profession. So, um, that's my call back out to us, how we, what we owe the profession. Um, you've heard Jex and I sometimes will get into debates where I'm like, or, 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 or slight disagreements where I'm like, you know, we need to do better than, um, talk about the differences between the, the generation that's coming into policing and how we experienced it. Right. It's this crusty old cop thing where we, we impose our understanding of the system on people who haven't even had the chance to develop in that system and to develop that system. And so we're always going to have this tension where um, at the experienced officers see things a certain way, the, the incoming cohort or generation sees things slightly different. And we have to, we have to allow them to build. The, the, well, and I think that's the, the biggest thing in the, you know, in our discussions about that is that 
um, it it's realizing when you're at when you're at those points. It's, yep. it's realizing that you're that twenty year guy going. Why? Why would you be a cop today? It's I remember. I remember hearing that back in <laughs> right. in 1997. Right. You know, and and why would you be a cop now? And I'm like, because oh, I want to. Yeah. And now, you know, and saying that same things. And so those are kind of those generational uh, things it's, that we've got totally, to give them. It's a totally valuable debate because yeah. what it allows us to do is identify the core values that we're interested in protecting versus these sort of secondary things that were natural extensions of our experiences. Right. 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 And it's the same thing. If you, if you go back and you read cops talking in, in the, in the early two thousands, they were saying, Oh, it's going to, it's going to be the, the end of the profession going forward. Look at all this stuff that came out of you know, like the late nineties and early two thousands, um, post Rodney King sort of reforms. Um, it's, it's the end of policing as we know it. I'll, let me tell a story. I was in Pittsburgh. No shit. There it was. And I met this cop that should have been my doppelganger. Uh, Gorgeous, number one, uh, six foot tall. Um, she was pretty. <laughs> he was a canine cop running a, a foot patrol on the river. I was one to two ish drinks in, and we struck up a conversation, and, I, and we got along. We really saw the world. It seemed like in a, in a lot of similar ways. And there came a certain point. Now this is twenty fifteen, okay, um, early August, let's say. And all of a sudden he's like, you know, I just can't stand what these people are going to, are doing to policing. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, would you believe it? Last week, at the end of July, they made it so that going forward, we can't use our saps anymore. And I kind of stopped and I was like, what? And he's like, he's like, yeah, they won't let us carry saps. Can you believe it? How am I supposed 2015. to? 2015, August. I've seen one in a museum here somewhere in the state. Sandy PD. They yeah, have a little museum. That's where it was. Yeah. They were, out, they were banned in Utah in like 77, I think. Um, but to this young man um, at the time, uh, that seemed like the end of policing, that they were taking his sap away. Because to, and and I, don't, I don't even mean that in a, in a derogatory way. Think about his experiences. He had probably survived some things that he didn't think he would have survived without. Because of that. Because of that sap. And so here's some external policy or civilian review board or somebody saying that can no longer be used as of July 31st, 2015. Um, And that, that's an important reminder to me when I think back on that story, because I reacted with shock because I had never policed in an area or in an era where saps were okay. That was definitely not okay to hit somebody with a lead filled sack. (laughs) Um, And we have to remember that like, as we move forward, all coming with different experiences, we've all been shaped by those experiences and how we see the world has is is seen through this lens of those experiences. It's okay to change them though, and it's okay when there's a new cohort of, or new generation coming in to shape the institution around them through their experiences, not necessarily ours. But it is our duty to identify the core values that make that possible. There are core values that shouldn't change with time. We can't change the need to serve. We can't change the desire to protect our brother and sister. Right. And make sure that they go home. That can't change. Some of this other stuff can. And that's okay. Policy uh, tactics are going to need necessarily shift over time. But as long as we get the right people in and imbue them with the values that people before us had, that we carried through a a career, now we can pass on to them to make sure that they do it the right way as well. Then everything will work out in the end. So 
three things have happened in the past two months um, that made me realize I'm one of the old guys. Not old and crusty, just old. <laughs> the first one was uh, I realized I need reading glasses sometimes. Uh, the second one was I was sitting in a briefing for a narcotics hit, and I was the old guy in the room. <laughs> and the third one was recently in Nashville when our uh, newly elected secretary for Lodge 31, um, somebody received a text. Our state secretary received a text asking why I brought my daughter with me. <laughs> so, yeah, I've reached that realm of old, but not crusty. Uh, uh, and <laughs> but, to be fair, she looks like your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm. I can't tell you enough um, that I'm happy that you survived to be an old guy, and that you survived to be an old guy in our profession because it, those core values that I see as necessary, I see in you, and that's what I think makes you such a valued member. It's what attracts new people to the FOP is seeing people like you in charge, right? It, when, when, when we imbue I hope so. that office with character, yeah. when we imbue the badge with character, people react better to it, right? Um, and you're doing that, and you've done it for 15 years. I hope you do it for at least five more. Um, and then I hope you get the hell out and enjoy your pension and make the state pay for every single year that you put into service. <laughs> Sheriff, this is, um, are you coming up on your first re-election right now? Yes, yep. Um, whatever we can do to reach out and help, please let us know. I'm so thankful that you are willing to join us and have pretty frank conversations about how you see the world and how that merges with us. I, 10 years ago, the chiefs and the sheriffs and the FOP were not necessarily Blind. fairly described as partners, but I think we are today. I believe, I, 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 believe I hope so. so. No, I believe so. And, and, um, there's no reason that it should be any different. It's just three different perspectives on the same world. Um, and, and they're necessary and important to make sure that all three are heard. So thank you for being here. And thank Absolutely. you for holding a very difficult office. Uh, if we can help in any way, I hope that we can. To the listeners, um, I really appreciate you sticking with us. We are damn near 50 episodes into this, what was supposed to be a 10-episode experiment. And every single month that I get to come in here, it's usually the only time of the month that I get to sit down with people I care a great deal about. Um, and then we get to have conversations that we just don't get to have in the sort of scrum of daily life. You know, we show up, we're dealing with an emergency. We're dealing with uh, this threat. We're dealing with that threat. We're dealing with this idiot. Um, how are we going to respond to this? How are we going to respond to that? But here we get to take an hour and think pretty deeply about issues that, that we all care about and have different perspectives on. Um, and it's the listeners who provide the reason for doing that. So I'm grateful that, that they're out there forcing you two to come sit with me. Um, I've enjoyed serving in the Utah FOP since 2004. It's now 2022, so 18 years. That's a long damn time. Um, and it's a long time um, to serve in a state capacity since 2010-ish. Um, and, and Jex, I know you've been here for since 1947, which is incredible. <laughs> it's a long, long time. Um, but I'm grateful that we get to continue to do it. We do this in the Podmill Studios in downtown Salt Lake City. And we got to thank Spencer and his crew uh, for, for, they have some sort of filter that makes me sound um, like post-puberty, which is great. Um, this yeah, is he's high. actually a high talker. Yeah, really high, like helium high. So thanks to Spencer and his crew for making us sound good. Thanks to everybody, and we'll see you on the next episode of Cover. Thank you.